Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. This is the Colorado Hunting Hub Podcast, where we cover hunting in the West, but mostly hunting in the destination state of Colorado. You'll find information that will help you plan, prepare, and motivate you for your hunt, but also keep you updated on happenings in the Western hunting world. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colorado Hunting Hub. A couple of shout-outs first before we get rolling. Check out I Hunt Colorado's Facebook page. There's a big community there. And a lot of people helping each other out and talking hunting in Colorado. So follow them to get an idea of what's going on. Click the link in the show note description there to get yourself in a drawing for Onyx Hunt giveaway. I'll give one of those away every month or so. And uh, or I might just give one away randomly. I don't know. Uh, the other cool partnership we got going on, Branded Bills, is uh, giving us discount 20% off their hats hunting hub 20 is a coupon code you need to use and our wilderness athlete coupon code still working for 25% off at hunting hub and then uh big agnes uh, is uh doing a lot there just had a little blog post that we did that was really cool really well done so i posted that on my social media go check that out got a kind of a fun little picture of me and my kid glassing so look at that and read the check out their gear they've got some Really good stuff for hunting, and uh, you're running out of time to get your gear. So, season is coming up, and put a little countdown on my Instagram. Looks like 19 days, 18 days we got till archery elk season, and Western Colorado is on fire. So, it's interesting, going to be interesting to see the impacts of not just the distribution of wildlife, but the distribution of hunters and how things are going to be distributed messed up with that so if you're coming to western colorado uh check out where those fires are because there's 
one, going to be some issues. You're not going to get through Glenwood Canyon anytime soon. Hopefully that gets opened up here shortly, but that's an issue. And then access period uh, north of I-70 near Debec and north of I-70 in Glenwood Canyon. Those are big old fires going and lots and lots of uh, disruption going on. So check that out. You got to really make sure you you, uh, are doing a little research checking the local news before you show up because that that would be a real bummer if your little honey hole is just uh burnt crispy and you can't even get in there so hopefully that's not messing up too many of you guys stuff but those final preparations need to be happening now uh you're you're still working out hopefully getting that exercise you need it's been tough uh on this end uh i'll suck it up and do it but been tough on this end been busy with a lot of other things a lot of antler buying lately so well i'm gonna start a website for that to start advertising some of the things we got i got a bunch of african uh, mounts and and all kind of got about 70 mounts or so that'll be up for sale so that'll be and then some big white tail big muley so that'll be fun uh, for some people if you're interested in those so uh that's my phone going off right now with uh some new tags that are available Nope, I'm not eligible for that one, but huh, that might be a bad, not bad tag, but uh, uh, yeah, so you're doing those preps, and and I needed to get one last deer tag, and I just finally did did get it. So, uh, total hail mary, gonna be kind of fun. Uh, prairie deer hunt, uh, Sedgwick County area, unit 93. Sorry if I'm blowing up anybody's spots, but it take. It was on the reissue list, and I got it quick. It took three takes three points to draw, so it'll be just a fun hunt, whitetail and muley, I think. So, um, got some work to do around that. And as far as finding a place to hunt, looks like there's some walk-in access. But I feel like some of you listeners that are coming outside into a new area where I'm going to be starting to to do what I've been preaching. So figuring out those areas, doing it the right way, and uh, not just posting a, a comment and saying, what do you know about Unit 3093? Uh, I'll have to kind of start with OnX and, and start doing some of those things and figuring out uh, some of those terrain areas and what what's it all look like. What's the topography? I don't even have a clue uh, other than driving through it on 76. So that'll be fun. Trying to find some spots, seeing if we can't uh, knock on some doors when I'm driving through there next. It's a late season hunt, so December 1st to the 15th. That'd be fun. I'm kind of excited. I haven't uh, hunted big plains whitetail like that in a long time. So be a be a fun, fun hunt, and I will and something completely different than hunting the, the mountains. So looking forward to that. If uh, you haven't got your tag yet, just know that you still still can. Tags are added every day to the reissue leftover list. You can go still find something that'll work for you. But I'm getting excited. Uh, my hunting buddy and I are making plans. We got dates. Looks like we're going on out for a week or so uh, for backcountry elk hunt to start with. And that should be... Uh, uh, pretty grueling but fun fun hunt there's a lot of gear items and things to be figuring out and uh keeping up with our shape and and feeling good before we go in lots of 
I do need to go check trail cameras here in the next week or two. Uh, see what we all got. I'm excited to see what's what's on those cameras. I'll definitely be sharing with you. I'm sure out of the nine cameras, I got one that didn't work. It always seems to be the case. One that didn't take pictures. So hopefully it wasn't one of the good spots. So if you wouldn't mind helping me out and giving me a good rating, subscribe, send me some, uh, I've been getting some comments and emails and things that have been really nice. So I appreciate that. Just uh, reaching out and, and uh, letting me know what you want to hear. So that's been cool. Contact information is down below in the show description, so you can always find me there. But in this episode, I have an interview with Scott Hoyer from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. He's a division wildlife manager, and just wanted to touch base with him. Known him for a few years now, and we've been working together on some things through work, and we're educating together and doing some things. So uh, he's a good guy and has... uh, wealth of knowledge in the, in the area. So I just wanted to, to kind of touch base with a game warden because we hadn't done that yet. So we we'll listen to Scott Hoyer and what he has to say about that last minute preparation, some safety things uh, that we need to keep in mind, uh, some little pieces there that uh, it would be good for us all to hear before we hit the season. So thanks for listening and enjoy. Scott, I want to thank you for coming on our podcast and enlightening us a little bit prior to the season we've got uh 19 days i believe for archery elk is here and a lot of people coming from all over the country a lot of people from in-state here excited ready to roll with the season and the point of this was to highlight officers like yourself and the work that you do for wildlife, but also I wanted to highlight just a couple of things just to to keep us safe and make sure we're within the law. So could you first introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks, Clint. I appreciate uh, you having me on your podcast. Um, Yeah, I'm uh, Scott Hoyer. I'm a district wildlife manager for Colorado Parks and Wildlife. I'm assigned to the Parachute District. I've been there for about eight years now. Um, Originally grew up in, in Michigan, hunting and fishing, doing that sort of thing. And Came out to Colorado in 2005 and uh, finished up my education out here and uh, was lucky enough to, to get in as a district wildlife manager um, in the class of 2012. Nice. And what uh, what's your favorite thing to, to hunt or fish out here in Colorado? Well, as you can imagine, being a, a game warden, our, uh, our hunting season for, for personal hunting is, is pretty limited. So I kind of got to pick and choose what I can do. Um, on the fishing side, it's a little bit easier. We have a little bit more time in the summer. And again, growing up in Michigan, I spent a bunch of time walleye fishing. And um, fortunate enough out here where I live, I'm actually close to Rifle Gap Reservoir, which is one of the few reservoirs on the western slope that we have that has walleye in it. So I like to take my boat out and cruise around, try to catch some walleye. That's probably my, my favorite thing to fish. Um, as far as hunting is concerned, I, I love archery hunting. Um, grew up doing that and uh, love chasing the elk around in the mountains uh, in September. Uh, it's a little bit quieter for us as game wardens and for archery season just because, uh, you know, we don't see as many violations as we do during the, during the rifle season. So I can get a little bit of time to, to get out and hunt um, during September. Um, one of my other uh, passions is uh, I've developed over the last couple of years is, is hunting for bobcats. Um, that's kind of a after season 
after the big game seasons are over, Bobcat uh, season kicks in first of December and to, to get out and it's kind of a, a long season, low stress, not a lot of expectations there and you kind of just get out and hunt when you, when you feel like it. And, uh, I uh, just really enjoy just being outdoors and, and having a purpose to be out there with a with a rifle and you know occasionally get lucky and and uh, call one in but uh, it's just a just a good time to be outside that time of the year. Yeah, I've never done that uh, <laughs> calling in coyotes I, I, or sorry uh, bobcats. Never done that had or been successful with it. So uh, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Um, that was always something I had thought about in my career path i was more so interested just sticking on the bio biology side of things not really interested in the law enforcement but uh if anyone is listening that's interested in the kind of career path portions of that i that was always a concern you can't get Mm -hmm. in the field the impacts of uh your own time in the field so um that's that's interesting to hear that but still is possible but your the seasons that you are you're monitoring and and uh checking things out is right in the heart of it so you're you're gonna yeah for sure pick and choose so that would be tough exactly yeah if you really really like to get out and hunt during second and third season uh maybe being a, a district wildlife manager in Colorado isn't isn't the path for you because you're going to be really busy during that time but you know we can we work around it and you know um all of our supervisors understand that the reason we got into the career path that we did is because we have that passion for hunting and fishing. And that's one of the last things they want to do is take that from us. So, you know, we, we make it work on both ends. Yeah. And can you first kind of just explain, cause all over the country, you hear a CO conservation officer, you hear DWM here in Colorado, we hear game warden. What do you guys like to be called? What what's, you know, just help us with that part. <laughs> well, keeping it PC, yeah, um, we to be called a uh, uh, game warden is is fine, or, or district wildlife manager. I mean, I, as far as I as far as I know, I think Colorado is the only state where we're labeled as a district wildlife manager. Um, I think most states, like you were saying, it's conservation officer. That's what we called them back in Michigan. Game warden's kind of a a universal um, term for for what we do, but. Um, you know, the reason I think we, that we're labeled as a district wildlife manager is because I think the conservation officer and game warden um, implies that you're mostly just doing law enforcement. And district wildlife managers, we do law enforcement. We're the, we'll be the people that, you know, you see out in the field while you're fishing or hunting. We'll be checking for compliance with hunting and fishing licenses and, and such. But um, that's only about a third at the most of, of what we do. We do a lot of um, education. So we're kind of the frontline people for getting out and uh, doing hunter education, doing education in schools, um, educating in our local communities um, with wildlife issues, nuisance wildlife, living with wildlife, that sort of thing. Um, So uh, in addition to education, we also um, have the wildlife management piece. And so we're all trained biologists. And um, so we're the ones that are gonna get out there and for the ones who can fly without getting air sick we'll be out in the helicopters counting the game <laughs> after the hunting season's over and you know helping out the fish biologists and figuring out stocking schedules and stocking fish that's i spent yesterday another hard day at the office up on the flat top stocking 2100 uh cutthroat trout up in a high country lake so spent most of the day on an atv and 
got a bunch of fish into a lake. So that's, that's pretty cool and rewarding part of the job is to, to, you know, get those fish in there and, you know, sort of return the sportsman's dollars to the sportsman. Now they can go up there and, and catch those fish. So, um, but yeah, that's kind of a long-winded way of saying, you know, we, we're, we're district wildlife managers, but we also function as conservation officers as, or game wardens as people understand it. Yeah. What was your path? How did you, uh, after high school, what was kind of your decision-making and, and process and, and the route that you took? Well, that's kind of funny you, you mentioned that. So growing up, I wanted to be a biologist. And so I thought, well, being a hunter too, well, if I become a, a wildlife biologist, well, I'm going to spend all of my, my hunting seasons in the office or doing check stations and that sort of thing. So I thought, well, maybe I'll be a fish biologist instead. That way I can be outside doing, doing cool stuff, but then also have the falls off to, to go hunting. <laughs> and so I uh, took kind of a long career or a long uh, education path, got my undergrad and then eventually my master's degree in uh, fisheries biology with the intention to become an either a state or a federal fish biologist. And uh, let's see, I got out in 2011 from school and started working as a seasonal uh, fisheries technician in Glenwood for Colorado Parks and Wildlife. And that's when I ran into some of the district wildlife managers up there and I really had no idea what they did. And after they kind of explained what they did and, you know, they were just doing law enforcement. That was my, that was my uh, notion was that they were strictly doing law enforcement. I said, no, that was, as I explained, that's only a, a small part of the job. Um, after I found out about that, I was like, well, shoot, that would be pretty cool to, to do that because I'm also, you know, not only doing law enforcement, I'm doing the biology thing. So um, that's kind of how I fell into that. I decided, well, you know, I'll put my hat, hat in the or my name in the hat rather and see if I can get in as a as a district wildlife manager and luckily enough I got in so um yeah started off as a biologist and, and transitioned to that law enforcement side and that's you know Colorado I can't speak to other states but Colorado hires um game wardens or district wildlife managers um specifically with biology uh, wildlife management forestry degrees and then they send them through the law enforcement training and so that's different than other states where they'll they'll find people that have uh, you know a criminal justice background or something like that, and then sure. teach them you know the the biology side of things. It's the difference between a mallard and a teal or or whatever. So yeah. we've got more of that wildlife background versus the law enforcement background coming into academy. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm curious on a nationwide spectrum how that or a view how that kind of impacts things. But who knows? Uh, what, uh, what was your master's project? Um, I was working with, uh, um, invasive species actually. So, uh, for a while there, New Zealand mud snails were a, a hot topic and, um, we were really concerned with them sort of taking over the ecosystem in some of these smaller streams and rivers. And so I was looking at ways to prevent the spread of those, um, um, mud snails, um, within streams and then also, uh, within like hatcheries and that sort of thing, just looking at different um, ways to deter them and, and keep their populations in check. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'd love to dive into your day to day a little bit. And you had mentioned to me prior to this that technology has changed completely since the start of your career and mm -hmm. how in law enforcement, uh, specifically your field law enforcement, there's there's been a lot of technology changes there and what you guys have been using. And, and so can you speak on that and just share some of the, some of the cool tech stuff that, uh, how that's changed? 
Yeah, I mean, one of the big things from, you know, when when I was growing up, you know, you didn't, you'd see a deer track on a trail and you wouldn't know what kind of deer made that or, you know, what it looked like. But now we've got trail cameras and, um, you know, they're, they're affordable and it seems like everybody has them. And kind of one of the new technologies is that the trail, the live action trail cameras where they actually send you either videos or, or photographs to your phone in real time. And so that's been one of the, one of the issues we've run into. And we actually now have a, um, a statute on the books preventing live action cameras from being used um, during the hunting seasons here in Colorado. You can still run a trail camera, but it has to be the, you know, I call it the traditional trail camera where you've got the SD card and you, you go and pull it from time to time and check your photos. But um, anything that's, you know, showing you in real time where those, where those animals are at is, uh, is against the law at this point. And I think that is, um, personally you know a good thing for fair chase and for for the hunter's image yeah that that totally seems fair to me because <laughs> you don't it, it's similar to uh in other states or like alaska and flying over you have that wait period time before you can go actually hunt it just i i yeah. think that's a that's a fair fair rule and um yeah we go ahead i was just gonna say my first trail camera had film in it and <laughs> i wish i i wish i still had it just because i remember trying it out and was like this thing takes pictures of stuff going through and i take it down to lewis drug and get my uh film developed and <laughs> ended up with like one picture of a fuzzy dough <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's amazing how quickly technology changes and i think we're I mean, we're at that part of the curve where it's just exponentially changing. Um, and so staying ahead of that because, you know, we're not, we're not making more habitat. It's hard, you know, to maintain those wildlife populations, especially here where we've got more and more people coming to the state. And so, you know, we've got to kind of, I guess, in a way to level the playing field, not allow technology to get ahead of what the resource can provide. You know, we can only kick out so many fawns and so many elk calves each year and if if we don't sort of keep our our technology in check to some degree um you know we'll 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 see the, the hunter success go through the roof and then that's going to negatively affect our our elk and deer and other big game populations so it's, it's just always a balancing act between you know what's what's uh you know good for fair chase versus what's um you know what the hunters are demanding and are, are looking for and, and you know, you don't want to end up being one of those states where, or one of those agencies where you just say no to everything. You have to make some concessions as technology evolves, but it's just a balancing act and it's, it's one of the challenges of the job. Yeah. Because uh, any, any gear company, outdoor company is going to try and make a buck on something new, better, greater, whatever that, but in all actuality, does that affect that fair chase? So that's a, that's a fair point. And I like that, you know, similar things of attachments on bows to range find specifically the uh, uh, range finding site, you know, those sorts of things. I like that we don't have uh, scopes on muzzleloaders, at least making that a little bit more primitive. And because otherwise we could po reach out and poke at 300 yards with the right muzzleloader. Uh, just trying to have some of those, that balance. I, I'd agree with you 100% on that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, all those seasons were sort of created as a quote-unquote primitive, you know, primitive hunting season, primitive weapons, and 
And you know that was back in the 60s and 70s and 80s. And now, you know, as technology marches forward, you can, you can, as you said, reach out and with the right equipment, shoot a, a deer with a muzzleloader at 300 yards and kill it if you. And that's not really primitive. So again, you're yeah. Affected yeah. <laughs> so. yeah what else have you seen uh tech wise i know we've had drones in the last i don't know how many years and what else have you yeah drones is a big one just uh again sort of with the with the trail camera thing they're becoming plentiful and cheap and people want to record what they're doing and put it on social media and that's that's another subject but um um being able to, to use them to locate wildlife for, for the purpose of hunting is absolutely against the law. And I think you'd have a hard time with most hunters, you know, making the argument that that's fair and ethical to the animal to have a drone up there at a thousand feet looking for, for animals for you. But um, we do, we do get those questions. People get that, get that drone and they want to, want to fly it around the ridge and look for, for elk. And that's just, that's just as a, uh, um, against the law um, right now with us um, and then yeah with social media there's you know it's its own animal there but um, there's that you create pressure social pressure there with people wanting to kill the biggest deer and stuff like that and that can kind of lead to some illegal behaviors and so um, one one of the things I've heard on different podcasts with with other game wardens and I do tend to agree is you know it used to be you make all your big cases out, you know, late at night looking for people spotlighting for deer and, and that sort of thing. And that sort of change. I mean, there's still people that do that, but um, a lot of our big cases now come through social media and people post stuff on social media and, and, you know, somebody, a friend within their groups, you know, smells, smells a rat and gets a hold of, you know, law enforcement and gets involved. And um, yeah, we, we see a lot of that and spend a lot of our time, um, looking into to leads that come through Instagram or Facebook. That's interesting. And kind of funny at the same time, because it's almost like people are trying to get caught <laughs> to us, to doing something bad. And then they just, let me put it out there. And <laughs> and that kind of speaks to the, I think to me, to the heart of, you know, why some people do illegal things is is just out of ego you know they want to they want to put that out there that they you know harvested the biggest elk or or whatever and they can't you know they can't contain themselves they've got to let other people know that they that they killed this bull or buck or whatever and and so uh, you know that's it ends up being their downfall that's a that's a weird balance even just within my circles of people i want to be private but then here I am putting myself out there on a podcast. <laughs> I want to be, uh, I want, I want to, I don't, I don't keep secrets very well. <laughs> I like to talk. I like to share stories. I like to do that sort of thing. Uh, but I also don't want to be boasting or bragging about stuff. And I want it, I want to be sharing that in the right way. So that's a weird balance to me sometimes that I don't want to just put it out there as a look at me, look at me. But, mm -hmm. and that's the reason why I still hold on to my own personal social media is because my family is, I don't call my, my aunt in South Dakota, but maybe once a year. <laughs> so she likes to see pictures of my kids. She likes to see pictures of what's going on in life and, and some, some friends that I don't get to chat with all the time. So it's a weird, weird balance, but yeah, I can, people do take that far too far with, uh, <laughs> uh, 
needing some some status on their their social media i guess so that's a weird thing yep yep and well thankfully for for law enforcement side of it and for the for the public's wildlife people do make that mistake because yeah they're they're stealing from all the all the law-abiding hunters and so yeah um any other cool tech stuff that maybe you guys are using to in the field or um now we get all the we get all the goodies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we are pretty fortunate. We uh, our equipment stuff. We we keep up with what the what the average hunter has, and so um, we're we're fortunate enough to you know get the the good binos, and that's probably one of the our key tools. You know, it's it's still primitive and old school, but it's yeah, skinny game warden what the what their most frequently used and precious tool in their pickup truck is, and it's a good pair of binoculars because that's that's still what we use the most to sort of observe, you know, observe hunters and observe wildlife and that sort of thing. Um, but you know, that being said, we've got some more cool 21st century stuff, you know, night vision and, um, some other things like that. And, you know, I'm sure everybody's seen the, seen the videos or, or watched on, you know, some of the game board and television shows with the robo deer. And so the, the articulated, um, um, decoys and, elk and deer and turkey and some other species that I won't name that we have that, uh, you know, just, uh, we put those out in the fall and, and, uh, just in areas where we know we're having issues and, and try to target specific, um, problems that we have. We don't just do it randomly, but you know, we got some of that cool stuff too. And, um, yeah, we're looking at getting a drone for ourselves, but that's, that's not going to be the law enforcement thing. That's more for, um, you know, we've got some fires going on out here right now. It's like manage or not managing, but um, looking at habitat projects and looking at fire extents and things like that. So we'll, we'll be getting some of that technology as well. Huh. Interesting. So we got 19 days, 18 days for archery season, but we've got our very popular over-the-counter second and third rifle elk seasons as well not far off so what are some of the common mistakes that you see folks make and i've got some listeners all over the country that are coming and with those few people that are listening what uh share some things to make sure that they uh they can be within the within the law obviously should have been reading the regulations book but let's highlight some of those just to to make sure we can uh, be safe Absolutely. And, and you bring up a good point. And that's the first thing I'll lead off with is if you read the regulation book and if you have any questions at all, just call the office. You know, you look on in the inside the front cover of our reg book, it has all of our offices listed, phone number, and um, I'll be happy to answer the question if it's more specific, you know, to a specific area where you're planning to hunt. You know, if you have questions about boundaries or, or whatever, they'll get you the, the phone number for the particular district wildlife manager and we're happy to answer those questions so by all means don't be shy just make that phone call and it's better to you know make that call ahead of time as opposed to get out here and either get in trouble or at least be out hunting and always have that in the back of your mind that oh, am i am i screwing up right now and not be able to truly enjoy your hunt because you're a little bit on edge so anyways i'll lead with that but um yeah one of the one of the things we find uh, from hunters especially coming from out of state is they, they get here and they um they want to get their tags printed out or you know they're going to buy a license over the counter when they get out here and they leave their hunter education card at home back in michigan or south dakota or whatever and so 
um, in order to purchase a license and a hunting license in Colorado, uh, you have to have a hunter education card. And so for anybody born after 1949, there's some stipulations there, but just in general, you got to have that hunter education card. So I would say that, you know, before you leave your home state, make sure you grab that card and bring it with you so that um, it saves a lot of heartache on our, on our side once you get here. It isn't the end of the world if you don't have your hunter education card when you get here. We just have to uh, you jump through some hoops and, and call your particular state where you got your, your card and verify it. And that's going to be dependent upon whether or not they can find it and whether or not we are open and can make that phone call. So, and miss opening day, most likely, <laughs> or miss some, miss some valuable days of hunting, which exactly. would be so make sure you throw that in your pack. So, uh, that would be the first thing. And then, you know, once we get it, once you're out here and actually hunting, um, a lot of our folks that come from out of state are, are public land hunters. We're blessed in Colorado with a tremendous amount of public land. Um, but that being said, we do have some private property interspersed with, with our, with our public land. And, um, oftentimes, you know, the, the game can be found around the edges of that, of that private property are going to and from public and private. So one of the big ones we run into is, is trespassing. And oftentimes that's just a, a matter of the person not knowing where they are, um, not doing it maliciously or anything like that. But um, it is one of those things where if you get, if you do get caught in private on private property and you're trespassing, we have to deal with that. And it's sort of up to the landowner whether or not to press charges, but it's not a, a situation you want to find yourself in. So um it used to be, you know, you had to be really good at reading maps, um, and then it morphed into having a handheld GPS, and now it's, you know, anybody with a smartphone, and that's practically, I don't know, 90% of people, it seems like, have a smartphone these days. You can get an app on your phone that shows um, public and private lands and where you, where you work, where you're at in relation to those. It basically turns your phone into a GPS, and it's super cheap. I, you know, I think the app I use is like $10 a month, and, and so I, I, I encourage all my hunters that are coming from other areas to to get that that app on their phone and just keep themselves uh, on the right side of the of the fences out here uh, while they're hunting. And I saw just yesterday an email from CPW about the new uh, trust land properties that opened up, and I, I'm sure Onyx and Base Maps will not have those updated, but yeah. I it looks like the handbook, the public land handbook or the can't remember the name but the uh cpw hunt atlas will have that on there and in that publication they'll have it in there so there's a lot of property and it looks like in our area it kind of seemed more like moffett county grabbed a a ton of that so not so much your region but lots of lots of new public land so that's kind of cool that is pretty cool. Yeah, especially out on the Eastern Plains too. So a lot of that, that trust property is out on the plains. And so that's going to open up a lot of opportunities for, for big game. And then also, you know, your pheasant and, and small game stuff too. So that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the other thing I was going to mention too. So, um, you know, we're, we're living in the time of COVID right now. And so, um, some of the, of the, U.S. Forest Service and BLM campgrounds are closed, and so I would um, sort of have or caution people to not assume that they're going to be open when they get out here. We're talking like the actual formal campgrounds with the you know the designated places where you camp and the bathrooms and that sort of thing. 
And so, you know, if you are planning to stay in a, in a campground, maybe make that phone call beforehand and make sure that that campground is actually going to be open. Um, there's a lot of opportunity for dispersed camping, um, both on BLM and Forest Service, but, um, you know, trying to find a place to, to set up your camper, depending on the size of it, and then you don't have the bathroom facilities or running water or whatever. Some people shy away from that, but um, looking into that would be, be pretty smart on the on the part of an out-of-state hunter and honestly i prefer that i'm i got the the camper hooked up right now going up to vega for the weekend and i am actually camping in a campground and it's kind of weird <laughs> i don't i don't i don't i wish i was maybe 10 miles back there a little further but uh I guess that's what I'll do because <laughs> it's so much more fun just to be completely off grid. Takes me a little longer to level the camper out, but it's, it's fine. But yeah. Gotta, Everybody gotta, has their different plans. Yeah. Got to do just a little family fun trip with friends anyway, here and there. So yeah. And then with that, I suppose uh, if you got people that are going to be dispersed camping that are not used to dispersed camping, uh, the, dealing more with their own waste and garbage and stuff like that, that they're not used to. So uh, hopefully those people deal with that in a proper yeah. way. Yeah. And I will, you know, I, I tell all of our, all of our dispersed campers, you know, to, I tell them to be bear aware. That's our, our motto here in Colorado. And cause we do have a, a pretty healthy population of black bears. And so, you know, keeping your camp clean, not having a, you know, a barbecue setting out while you're out hunting or, um, you know, your trash exposed while you're away from camp or even while you're, you know, in bed sleeping at night and your, your trash is just out there attracting wildlife. So be smart about that. And then they also, um, we, currently we've got, um, we're kind of bookend here as I sit in rifle with two different fires, the Pine Gulch fire, which I think is over 60,000 acres and the Grizzly Creek fire up by Glenwood, which is, I'm not sure how big that is, but it's, it's a big one too. And so obviously we're very dry this year. And so uh, we're in stage two fire ban. So that's going to be an issue with folks coming out here and planning to, you know, have that campfire and marshmallows every night. That's, that's not going to happen. And um, it only takes one careless campfire to, you know, burn a, burn a huge area. So I definitely caution people when it comes to that. And so make, again, making that phone call too, to find out uh, whether or not there's fire restrictions in your area is pretty smart. And then, you know, even parking a vehicle in tall grass, where, you know, you pull off to disperse camp and you pull your truck up to set up your camper. Well, that, that grass is sitting against your manifold and your hot exhaust. That, that's enough to start a fire too. So people just got to be really aware out here in, in Colorado that it's, it's very dry. And so you don't want to be that person to start a forest fire. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I'm really tired of breathing the smoke. <laughs> it's, it's making going for a run kind of miserable because you just, yeah, your nose runs for the rest of the day and you're sneezing it's horrible yes um so what are some uh common safety things just to take us back to 12 years old and sitting in hunter safety that that are the must remind people on that are coming out here uh just to sure, make sure, sure if we so can prevent something let's try to right exactly so it's it's um all comes back to you know common sense with with firearms and so one of the biggest ones we run into is is loaded firearms uh either in a you know a motor vehicle or on an atv and so 
um, there's a little bit of confusion there, as I was mentioning, you know, make that phone call first, but um, with a street legal vehicle, pickup truck, car, whatever, you can have a rifle um, loaded in the mag, you know, rounds in the magazine, but nothing in the chamber. Um, that is legal for you to do. However, when you make that transition away from your vehicle to an, either an ATV or a, a UTV side by side, that gun now has to be completely unloaded, both in the magazine and the chamber, and has to be in a case, um, either a hard side case or a you know a zippered case. It can't be an open open ended scabbard like you might have on a purse or something like that. So um, that's one of those safety issues that we really really press people on because. Uh, most of our, or a large number of our uh, accidental um, discharge um, events come from people either in or around a motor vehicle. Um, you can, you're a hunter too, and you, you know how it, how you're, uh, you get that tunnel vision and get super excited when you see an animal. And so um, we just want to prevent those, those issues where, you know, somebody sees a, sees an animal and sort of, sort of loses their, their cool a little bit and grabs a rifle and, and takes a shot and uh, potentially harms themselves or somebody else near the vehicle. And so uh, we don't show a lot of a leeway there. If we catch somebody with a loaded firearm in their vehicle, it's typically a citation there. And then the other one um, I'd like to mention is the the hunter orange or now we, we, we allow pink too as of a few years ago, but making yourself visible during, during the firearm season is pretty important. Um, we've, we've got a, um, a lot of people coming out this fall to go hunting. I think that's part of the part of the COVID effect. But um, a lot of people out there, perhaps a lot of people haven't hunted in a while, and so making yourself visible with uh, with that 500 square inches of orange worn above the waist, and then a a hat as well is is really really important. Um, it's not going to uh, affect your success in the field. We, we tell people that you know animals don't see in color, so you're just another shade of gray to them. But it's going to make you visible to the other hunter that's you know two ridges over and sees movement you know you don't want to be that that uh that brown blob going through the brush and uh, um, somebody takes a shot at you so having that hunter hunter orange or pink on is is very very important keeping your keeping yourself safe yeah uh one uh thing you hear a lot from from folks is to uh reach out to the area wildlife manager to try and learn an area or just to, to gain some information because you're coming from say a thousand miles away you don't can't get eyes on the ground and see things so can you help with that approach that people can take that are not asking for where exactly to go but how they can approach you with a with a phone call and say what kind of questions to ask when they're when they're trying to learn an area or just make some phone calls and learn something about about the unit they're going to hunt Sure, sure. Yeah, so first I would say, you know, there's a lot of online resources. So Colorado Parks and Wildlife on our website actually has a, a program, a computer program, where you can look at, at specific maps and it shows migration corridors and summer range and winter range and that sort of thing. Um, so I would say do your homework first. And so pick out an area and, uh, you know, have some specific questions for the, the district wildlife manager when you call. Um, you know, more than happy to help people um, that have kind of helped themselves initially. And so, you know, you call us and you just say, hey, where's a good place to hunt in 32? <laughs> I'm probably not going to add a lot of answers for you. It'd be pretty general. But if you right. ask me you know, about 
this particular ridge in Trapper Creek and, you know, can I access this with an ATV and, you know, kind of show me that you've actually looked at some maps and, and have an understanding of the area. I'm a lot more likely to, you know, give you some more, you know, fine tuned tips on, on where to go and places to try and that sort of thing. So, so definitely try to do your, do your homework before you make the phone call. Um, and it, it's, it, you know, that's part of our job, like I said, education and talking to people. And so, definitely don't mind talking to people about where to where to um, give it a shot and go hunting and we can also provide you know really you know um, up-to-date information as well maybe not where the animals are just simply because I'm a I don't know where they're at day-to-day -day elk and B um, I don't I've gotten in trouble in the past with other hunters they tell me oh there's there's elk on such and such a ridge and then somebody asked me you know a different party asked me where should I go and I sort of blabber oh go try that and now i'm blowing up somebody else's hunting spot you know what i mean and yeah. so not going to give you like super specific stuff but we can give you like like i was saying there's forest fires out here where there's there's closures on particular roads because of the the fire and that sort of thing or campgrounds are closed because of covid we can give you that information that you're not going to be able to necessarily get um back in illinois or whatever so um but yeah, just just uh, just like I said, look at look at the maps first, and then have some specific questions for us. That, that goes a long ways. Yeah, that's that's a good good tip because the fire information would be hard to know, really. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Unless you're following the right Facebook page or you're following the the news close enough, so that would be tough. Exactly, and it's well, changing every day. So, well, I'll let you get back to your day, and I appreciate you the appreciate the preseason info and just trying to help us kind of just stay up to date on kind of what you do and then also a little bit of just some last minute reminders so i'm excited for the season got a, a deer tag just hit the leftover list just now and i almost push purchase while we're talking uh but i changed my mind so i'm and i'm playing the the reissue game and it's stressful <laughs> so uh anyway well i appreciate your your time thank you very much i appreciate it good talking with you right outside of this one church town there's a gold dirt road to a whole lot of nothing got a deed to the land but it ain't my ground this is god